episode 1027 and it's the relevant podcast here in orlando the frozen tundra chilly christmas time tundra of orlando florida i'm your host cameron strang joining me from loverland virginia it's jesse carey hello hello from austin texas she's back podcaster author mogul jamie ivy (laughs) hey guys and from nashville tennessee this week still uh recovering from her bachelorette party uh downtown emily brown Hey, y'all. Well, it's the only reason to go to Nashville, visit Nashville's bachelorette parties. Right, right. Going yeah. down Broadway on the Pedal Tavern. Yeah. So, you know. I just joined them. <laughs> she just joins them. She's just a, <laughs> she's a first. She sidles up. That's what she's doing. She's sidling some up. Some of those, okay, some of those bachelorette parties, there's like 14 people in them. I right, feel like they I wouldn't could easily join it. They wouldn't easily. Know. get in. No one knows. No yeah. one knows. Yeah, I know you Sarah. Could, you're like, I'm the cousin. Yeah, yeah. I flew in today. So, so it's sort of like a Wedding Crasher spinoff. It's <laughs> Petal Tavern. I'm like, I could see this as like a Netflix, maybe even a holiday rom-com because I of feel course. like the, 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 the more little wrinkles in the plot, the, the, the better they seem to do. You know, yeah. uh, you, it, it's sort of like a, a holiday Wedding Crashers type of thing on a pedal tavern through downtown Nashville, where you just crash a bachelorette party during the weeks leading up to Christmas. Yeah. And then at the end of the bachelor party that you crashed, Emily, like one of the girls, she's like, I brought my brother with me. He's in town. And then y'all mm-hmm. fall in love. And then the next is like a wedding. I mean, it's just, we got a whole movie I, planned out right there. I love there. this. Can this movie yeah. be a reality? Yeah. <laughs> it's a reality show. That's what we're yeah. going to do. Yeah. So, it's it's a it's been I feel like everything kind of blurs together in December, right? Like it, it is it is just a sprint to yeah. to the big day. And as right. an adult, I feel like you don't really look forward to Christmas. It's more of like, what am I forgetting this year? You know, inevitably mm. it's going to be something. I find that Christmas shopping gets more and more stressful all year, mainly because online shopping. And here's my take. Online shopping, it, it, in your mind, you're like, I can wait. I can wait another day. I don't got to worry. I can just do it right. all online. I can just knock this out. Right. Where back in the day, it was like, you got one mall trip. You know, it's going to be a long afternoon. Right. Wear some comfortable shoes. But you're going to come away just with the, with the knowledge you got it all done. Online shopping yeah. has made me a procrastinator. It really stresses me out. Are, where do you guys stand on Christmas shopping? Is this something that's incredibly stressful to anyone else or is it just me? This show is coming out six days before Christmas and I have bought no presents. So I'm a procrastinator too. Yo, I am a procrastinator, but I know it. So I'm I've thinking been... about it. I'm making mental lists. That's I kind of know what I'm going to do. Because you're like, I'll just log into Amazon one night, t- pop on a show and just prime all this. It, but but I'm telling you, man, yeah. it, you look at delivery dates and, 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 I know. and, and the whole house right. of cards starts tumbling down. Just, I know. I miss the old mall days where it would just be like, no, I'm going to the mall one afternoon, just knocking it out. Oh, that makes me stressful right just now. Just go to the mall then. They still exist. You could just go down to Target or Best Buy. I'm not, I'm not comfortable in malls. You're not comfortable in malls? No, here's why. Too many sword stores. Too many sword stores. There's a lot of sword stores popping up. A lot of, you know, <laughs> glassware, things like that. Just things that w- that when they come to the mall, like weird wizard statues and stuff, you're like, oh, it's, mm-hmm. the mall's going it's on. Like, it's, like, it's like there's a, there's a clothing store for teen girls and you know that used to be a gap because they didn't even take the sign down. They put a vinyl <laughs> the sticker over it. The sign looks kind of homemade. You know. The sign looks a little homemade. Like, yeah. You see homemade signs. <laughs> you see like those stores yeah. with those weird collectibles like... 
a half life size yeah. like Marilyn Monroe porcelain statue, and you're like, who's popping yeah. in there and, and dropping eleven hundred dollars for the Elvis statue at the mall? <laughs> <laughs> who's going in? They got they're hey, coming Christmas. in for other stuff in the back is what they're coming in for. They're, they're, there's, there's another business they run out yeah, the back like of that the, like the James Dean oh. poster with the little light on oh. the on the on the motorcycle. The, yeah, the light on yeah, the cigarette. It, it's like. Those stores are still around, but that's not why I'm uncomfortable. I actually like the novelty of those. And I like to walk in because it's usually the person that owned the store is working in the cash register. Those aren't the type of stores that's hiring a lot of outsiders. Okay. But there's a look of desperation. I can't step into those stores because you could make their day. Like they can't eat dinner tonight if they don't sell something. So they're very eager that somebody just walked into their weird store. And I I hate the fake browsing. I have to like do the courtesy look around. Oh, great. This is awesome. And then you have to do the awkward thing. Thank you as you walk out, and they like, oh no, that was my one customer. And usually, you know? their kids are in the that. corner, like watching TV, like watching like, like an, an iPad, iPad or, or something. On. Yeah, <laughs> and they're just looking at you like, please, 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 let this be the person that drops eight hundred dollars on that collection of samurai swords. <laughs> Rent is due, you know. Um, I actually like walking in, just kind of milling around and checking out the the the, the odd collectibles that they seem to accumulate. <laughs> Um, every one of those stores, if you ever watch one of those shows about people who won the lottery and like blew all their money and they show pictures of their houses, it looks like they did the entire decor. <laughs> like there needs to be a show like Studio McGee or like Chip and Joe, except the decorators only use weird collectibles from mall stores. I would watch that show. That would be funny. You know, um, that would be funny. Yeah. But either way, no, I don't like it because of the like kiosk. The kiosk, oh, the proprietors of the t- kiosk are getting very aggressive. Like they would just straight very up aggressive. walk up to you very aggressive. and start rubbing. They'll start putting a curling iron in your hair. Yeah. Yes. Or, or, yes. or start massaging uh-huh. your hand with like dead sea salt. <laughs> now, I like a hand massage as much as the next person <laughs> with salts from the dead sea. I just, I just feel like, you know. You want to be a consenting adult exactly. for Exactly. I want to consent I mean, you know, to, yeah. the, to yeah. the massage. But or, do you guys find that it's very, like even the, even the remote control helicopter person. Like they'll zip it right by you. They, they, they'll buzz. It's like in Top Gun where he buzzes the tower. I feel like they'll buzz yep, you that's right it. in the food court, right by your eye, just so you look. Yeah. At, oh, is that a remote control helicopter? It's just getting too aggressive out there. With a yeah. massive, the massive boomerang, and they do tricks with it, and they'll yeah, right, yeah. And then right it comes by back. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I rem- like. I actually have this very vivid memory when I was in middle school. I went with my friend and her mom to the mall. I can't remember what we were doing, and. I always, her mom was a very interesting woman, but there was someone who like came over, I think started like putting something in my hair, trying to get me to buy it. And I just remember her being so aggressive, like my friend's mom being so aggressive back and like defending me and being like, she doesn't want that. And that was really life changing for me because I didn't (laughs) realize that you could be aggressive back to the kiosk people. I thought you you kind of just had to like, yeah, I thought you just had to be like, right. She really (laughs) taught me that. And so... Like, and I just remember like, which is such a funny memory, but that was a really defining moment of like, oh, I don't have to just like awkwardly let this person put this product I never want in my life, like in my face. It's really, yeah, it's, it's a really big moment. For I've me. learned you have to do the wide berth. You have to like, if there's a kiosk yeah. hallway, you are basically <laughs> touching the outer walls as you go down there and you're looking and like to the floor, it. to the floor, or or you're looking into the store. So like mm-hmm. you do not acknowledge the existence of the kiosk. Yeah. Don't make eye contact. And it helps to have a small child with you. They, they don't want to deal with, they oh. have a small child with you, preferably crying. Preferably cry sticky. Walk by. Like make it. Sticky. Like, like sticky. Yes. Like, 
Like, don't wipe uh-huh. their boogers yeah. for yeah. like a week before you go to the mall. <laughs> yeah. Two, yeah. Two quick notes. Yeah. I, I have to say, the wide berth, Cameron, bad strategy. It's Why? Oh. Because you're breaking away from the pack. If you ever watch one of these nature shows, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm going to let you, the pack get assaulted and I'm going to make a clean no, break. That's not what the, happens. The, the puma. What? The Puma's tracking the herd. Oh, they go for the solo one? They go one? for the one that have come on. You got to stick with the herd, okay? Because they don't know. Oh, you can just on, on, in my, But in my experience, I'm at the mall by myself or with one other person. Well, I'm not in a herd. Do. Here's what you do. Okay. You engage eye contact, okay? From a distance. Yeah. And you just look at them and go like this. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And just a little. <laughs> oh, just shake your head no. Shake your head no. Shake your head no. Shake your head no. Not today. Not today. Just assert dominance not today. as soon as you can. Um, because so otherwise you're the alpha. You're the alpha yeah. in this situation. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is this is it's a courtesy thing. They don't want their time wasted. You know, they're there to move some dead sea salts. Period. Okay. If they know you're not in, they're not going to offer the hand massage. If they, yeah, I feel like it's just a mutually beneficial social exchange. Yeah. Okay. I like that strategy. That I did said, when I was. In- I waited too long to buy gifts this year, and a lot of people on my list are getting dead sea salts. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hand massages on Christmas morning this year. <laughs> Are you going to go around oh, and give a, your gift as an act of service? No, like I you, they brought, don't open anything. It was you part just, of the deal. Oh, that's a good idea. It was part of the deal for such a <laughs> you massive the guy home for such a massive purchase. I said, "Look, Christmas morning, I need you waiting outside to give give some hand massages." He's like, "Okay." The kiosk yeah, is in the, the in the yeah, driveway. The kiosk. The kiosk <laughs> is in the driveway with a big red bow on it, like it's a Lexus, and everybody comes out and gets their hand massages. Like by twenty, we come to your house. December yeah. to remember. Remember the year. That we brought the Dead Sea Salt guy from the mall. He's in the driveway. He's freezing. And he doesn't celebrate Christmas, so don't worry about him. And just come on in. Come on in. All waiting for him to massage. By the way, if you would have told me today that we're going to start off the show with an extended discussion of unsolicited mall hand massages, I would have said that sounds exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to Esau McCauley. He has a new book out that we're excited about. Uh, we also have your feedback at the end of the show. But stay tuned. Coming up right now, it's Relevant Buzz. Listening to Young the Giant. The song is The Walk Home. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen season four. Episodes one through three of The Chosen season four are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for Relevant Buzz. All right, tell us what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture this week, Emily. All right, we have some wild stories to get into. Wild. The first one I want to talk about is a mega church pastor in Atlanta who said that he wants to grow weed on church property. Um, what? Jam- 
Yeah. Jamal Bryant is a megachurch pastor in Atlanta, and he was recently on on a podcast talking about um, kind of what he plans to do to grow the church, no pun intended. Um, and he was talking about how their church is the largest land-owning black church in America. So he asked his deacons, why are we not raising cannabis? And obviously the podcast host laughed because that is a very absurd thing to say. But then he like doubled down on it and said he uh, wants to bring in people and um, introduce concepts of sustainable farming and how to preserve the ecosystem, teach them how to handle business. And he said that he wants to do that by growing weed. Um, on church property. That is on church property. And there are a couple things that are, we have issues with. Um, we'll get into most of them later. But the one that I do need us to start with, marijuana is not legal in Georgia. So I don't know where... Like why he thinks this is the best strategy to go with, but that's something that already is just an automatic no. Um, is medical like medical marijuana legal? Like you can get a prescription? From what I can tell, no. Like you can't you can't grow it, you can't sell it, you can't like use it. So the the he said too that he saw it as an outreach opportunity, like to the young right. the young black man who was like, wait, they're growing weed at that church. He's like, they'll come. I don't need to like try to get them to come to church. They'll want to come to church. That was his justification for it. And he also said that their church, which is New Birth uh, Baptist, um, is the he said is the largest land owning church in America. So he was trying to like, how do we monetize our acreage? And this is his great idea. We posted this on our Instagram, and the comments were wild. I loved the ones that were making puns, like you know that church serves the Most High, and watch out for the church, watch out for the brownies at the bake sale, sort of thing. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say they they have a lot of names if they end up releasing like their own. Train. <laughs> I mean, you can have Florida lift your name on high. You could right. have oh, wow. John four twenty. <laughs> um, oh, that's good. Okay, got it. I, just, I, yep, I just feel like there's yep. a, there's a lot of options for branding, like all those Christian really... coffee shops, like Holy Grounds and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. he, he, you you could do the right. same thing with. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. got it got a lot of mixed reactions. There, you know, I would say eighty percent of the relevant audience sees this as a problematic idea right. for a church um there were definitely a few there were some people though in the comments on ig like saying hey good do it you know i had no problem with it well here's my question like let's take aside like the cannabis issue and just like if they were using the church property for in, because i'm assuming they're not giving this away like it's not like a community garden where they're just giving away the fruits of their right. labor i'm selling it's a commerce thing if you know right? anything so, about mm -hmm. jamal bryant the man ha makes money he is one of you, those pastors but but, but th that's more my point is like put, let's put aside the cannabis thing for just a sec and just say like it's any church that has facilities that they want to mm -hmm. that is are probably those facilities are, are likely um you know uh, facilitated by the funds of the parishioners right like, should any should that be used for any commerce? If any pastor would be like, "Hey, I got a great money making idea. I'm going to use the church facilities for a business," well, you know, no matter what the business is, right? Like, that to me is also offers its own. And, and again, I'm not making any kind of moral judgment, but but I think in you know scripturally there is you know a contentious relationship when it comes to commerce happening. On in that case, in the in the, like the the you know the the facility of the well, temple, right? Like, I mean, but you got to look at the current kind of 
having a coffee shop in your lobby that sells coffee. The church has a line of merch and a merch table. I mean, there's there, it's getting weird and icky and gray area in a lot of church lobbies right now, you know, but that's a minor point compared to we're growing weed on the church grounds. Right. You know? I, I mean, I mean, it is, but if you were to, but like, I do feel like it's a discussion that isn't had that much. You know what I mean? Like what's the place yeah. of commerce on facilities owned and maintained by the church? Like no matter what that, that commerce is, you sure. know, I, I don't know. I feel like that almost to me is equally interesting. You know what I mean? Because you can come out with different sides mm-hmm. of, of the cannabis thing. Like, you know, and there's, you know, different people have different opinions. And I remember years ago, Cameron, we ran a, a piece in the, in the magazine where I got to talk to people on a lot of sides of that, you know, particular mm-hmm. issue. But the issue of commerce literally within the church, not like in churches, I feel like is one that more people stay away from because there is some degree of gray area there. Yeah. I, I read a quote by him. I looked up an article. He, he said, the call is not to bring people to smoke at church. The call is to bring people to church so they can catch on fire. It's my intention that if we show young people the advantages and impact of urban farming, it will make a distinct difference. So I feel like he's kind of like muddling in two different. I love the let's teach people urban farming thing. Yeah, but it's called organic farms. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you might maybe it's not a community garden. Yeah. A lot of your parishioners live in a food desert. So farm the land and mm-hmm. provide for the community healthy produce right. and make a difference in but health. But when we throw cannabis in, it yeah. turns into something completely different. Whether it's legal or not in Georgia, I think it changed. It's just, yeah. Also another great name. Holy smoke. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Well, there, right. there's a Christian underground hip hop festival called Holy Smokes, but anyway. Um, okay, what do you? Have, what's next? What do you have? Um, another wild story that gives me the heebie-jeebies for a different reason. It's crazy. Um, is can't wait. <laughs> this is so, crazy. Uh, there is a artificial womb facility is currently in the works. Um, it's going to be called EctoLife. It was conceptualized by this Berlin-based biotechnologist. And essentially what it is, is it would take embryos and place them in growth pods or artificial wombs, which would be designed to replicate the exact conditions of a mother's uterus. Um, so basically you could grow an entire baby outside of the womb. So if we stop there, his rationale is this would be an option for couples who have uh, trouble conceiving. Yeah. Okay. Infertility yeah. issues. That, yeah. Great. Infertility wonderful. Issues. Right. Now go to part two. What they also would offer is what they're calling an elite package, which would give parents the option to predetermine the characteristics of their child by genetically engineering the embryo before it's ever placed in the womb. So in theory, you could pick your child's eye, hair color, skin color, height, and even their intelligence level. And that is where things take a very dystopian turn um, is just really playing God and saying, we're going to make our child exactly who we want or what we want them to look like, who we want. Um, And it is terrifying that this is in the works. It's in motion. And, and, and the, the plans for this facility would be able to uh, birth 40,000 kids a year. FYI. Mm -hmm. So what? Yeah. I think it was 30,000, but still an an insane amount. Um, Because it's like the pod, I think there was like 400 pods in 75 labs. It's just... It's wild. It's wild. I I think there's a lot of things that we could talk about here, and I don't want to steer us off in a different way, but and I don't have my head on straight and my thoughts organized well enough, but that number that you just started, 30,000, 40,000, whatever, a lot of thousand of babies to be um, developed. My mind goes to how many children 
already are in our foster care system in America right. who don't. And, and again, I'm going a different turn here, but how many far, and it's not against IVF. I have plenty of friends. I don't have feelings about it, but it just makes mm. me think like, oh my gosh, we're going to create 30,000 more babies, but we have hundred thousands of kids in America who don't have families. And right. that just, it blows my mind. Um, that's my first thought. I, you know, helping parents conceive is one thing. Right. It's the second part. The bioengineering that is like yeah, 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 yeah. red yeah. flags times a million. Mm -hmm. You know, like who thinks this is a good idea? <laughs> yeah. For any of us on here who are parents, all of us have biological children. I also have children through adoption, but we all have biological children. You already have this preconceived idea of like what your child's going to be because you know where your child's coming from. The, the mom and the dad, you know the personality, you know what they mm -hmm. look like, all the things. But what I've learned as a parent is like... It, everything's just up for grabs. Like, you know, like you can't determine like how smart your kid's going to be or how kind your kid's going to be or what they're going to look like. And so you're giving these parents super, super just like false expectations because we all created our children. And sometimes we still don't even know like, wow, that's a kind of trade I didn't see coming. You know what I mean? It just feels like you're going to put people up for like, they're going to feel like that's not what I wanted. I didn't check that box. Yeah. It's not like you're designing a pair of sneakers online or something you know what i mean yeah, like right, the, right. the customization like the the mashup of consumerism and consumption to to a lot of different areas i mean we're talking about it with the church we're talking about with uh you know our ideas about the human life you yeah, know I, I think anytime you kind of mash those up you quickly quickly run into uh morally problematic areas you know um and mm -hmm. i don't i don't think you know obviously it's not like there's anything overtly wrong with with consuming things but it seems like the consumer philosophy is infiltrating or has infiltrated a lot of areas that you know like i said it introduces a high degree of moral complexity that maybe we just shouldn't allow it to touch certain things like mm -hmm. our preconception of of what human life is Jamie went foster care. Jesse went consumerism. And I'm going, this is this dystopian playing God of the human race. This is insane. And you guys are like kicking the tires on the, like, the <laughs> philosophy around it. I'm like, they're making babies to order. There's a iPad menu of characteristics yeah. that you want. I want my baby to have blue eyes and okay. be super smart and be 6'4". You're insane. This is nuts. Not okay. I like how Cameron yeah. like described all designer babies as Dolph Lundgren from from Rocky IV. Hey, Hitler did it in 38. That was his vision. He was trying to breed out the non-perfect genes in his mind. I mean, come on. That's This is bad. You know, I'm glad we're talking about this. And we say this a lot on this podcast is that the church is behind in talking about things. And so mm -hmm. this is a conversation that I think a lot of people in the church would be like, ah, you know, I don't, this can't really happen. What's going on? But actually it's like, we need, I need someone to help me process these thoughts. And like, oh, mm -hmm. how do I look from this from like a moral standard and ethical standard? And so- I'm glad we're talking about it. And it just reminds me of like, add this to the list of the things that's happening in the world faster than the church can happening. keep up That's with. what I'm saying. This isn't a philosopher mm -hmm. saying by 2050, what if this was, yeah. he's actively pursuing it. It's in motion right now. So just no church. He's, he was saying like, he thinks it's probably going to be maybe five years before it actually starts getting developed. And then he said, it'll probably be 10 to 15 years after that, before it really takes off. Just dealing like, I think he said they would take, he knew it would take a couple of years just to kind of educate the public on what this is and stuff. So it's clear, like he's aware he has to change public perception of this. And my hope is that he is not able to change public perception and that people are not just going to think, oh, okay, this is fine. Like that they're, they'll recognize that there are still 
major issues with this. You know, God, if we believe as Christians that God is the creator and he has an intent and a plan and a purpose for all of our lives, our strengths, our flaws, our characteristics were designed by him before the beginning of time. If we believe that theologically, we should have a problem with this. Okay. Right. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> What's the last thing? Uh, we're going to end things on a lighter note. Um, okay, good. Yeah, uh, we are really excited about the new Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie Heck that's yeah. going to be coming out next year. Um, we have the trailer. First trailer just dropped. Here it is. He wants to go out into the world and do great big things. Not bad, kid. And what I worry about most. I love you, Miles. Is they won't look out for you like us. Want to get out of here? Wherever you go from here, you have to promise to take care of that little boy for me. Make sure he never forgets where he came from, and he never doubts that he is loved. And he never lets anyone tell him that he doesn't belong there. You gotta promise, Miles. I promise. We are supposed to be the good guys. We are. I'm really excited about this. I was not excited for the first one when it came out just because I... Don't like good movies? Is that why, Emily? Because... <laughs> no, it was because I didn't understand why we were getting a fourth Spider-Man movie within like the last decade. Um, but then I watched it and I realized this is a different Spider-Man. Um, and it was really good. Like the animation was good. The story was good. I was really excited about it. Um, it's also been really sweet. I have friends that they, um, have young children who they like, I'm thinking one specifically, like he loves Miles Morales. And I asked him why. And he said, well, cause he looks like me. And that was really sweet. Like he will always grow up having a superhero that looks like him. Um, so it's, I am really excited for this. Um, it looks good. And I have high hopes. Sometimes I try not to go into sequels with high hopes, but I'm going in with high hopes for this one. When is the release date? June 20, summer 2023. So we got a, we got a ways. So that's just yeah. our first look. We're we teasing, while, yeah. we're te teeing it up for you, audience. All right. That'll yeah. do it for Relevant Buzz. Make sure to check out relevantmagazine.com every day. We're covering the intersection of faith, culture, justice, and life. Lots of stuff coming out. Follow us on all the socials. We're posting over on IG a lot more now. Uh, thanks. Stay tuned up next. Esau Macaulay joins us. listening to the greeting committee it's like at your uh, church the serve team the greeting committee the song is anything but you hey if you like this podcast but you might like it better if there were no ads you can do that head over to relevantmagazine.com and sign up for relevant plus for just a couple bucks a month you get this podcast ad free you get ad free unlimited reading at relevantmagazine.com including the full podcast and magazine archives 
our beautifully designed digital issue and a little more. Uh, check out all the info right there on the Relevant Plus tab at relevantmagazine.com. Well, our guest today is Esau McCauley. He's an associate professor at Wheaton College and a contributing writer for the New York Times. He's also the author of books like Reading While Black, Sharing in the Sun's Inheritance, and his latest, Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. He sat down with Emily to discuss how the church can move forward in the next year toward unity and reconciliation for all. Here's our conversation with Esau McCauley. excited that we were talking about this because I feel like so many people either just don't get Lent or they just don't really have like a good view of what it is. So I think a really great place to start would be like kind of in your own words, how would you describe Lent and the season of Lent? I mean, I think that I, in the beginning of the book, I say something along the lines of Lent is often perceived as this really dour time where you have to think about how horrible you are because of the sins you've accrued over the course of the year. And you just feel bad about yourself for um, 40 days. But I actually think of Lent as a tremendous act of grace that, you know, God and his providence has allowed the church to come to because Lent presumes that you're going to mess up. <laughs> Lent presumes that at some point during the Christian year or your life, you're going to lose your zeal. You're not going to pray as much as you should. You're not going to read the Bible as much as you should. You're not going to treat your neighbor as you should. It's gonna, it just presumes that we're not going to become Christian and ascend this height of sanctity until we die. This presumes that sometimes you lose enthusiasm. And so in the same way that like every year in New Year's, New Year's is great because it gives you a fresh chance to start over, right? You can say, oh, I'm going to finally do these things I've been planning on doing forever. And you can do it without this sense of kind of feeling bad about yourself. And so Lent is kind of like the church's opportunity for people to say, okay, in the last couple of years or in the last year, how has my spiritual life gotten off track? And what kind of practices do I need to bring back again to restore the spiritual health? So I think of Lent as an opportunity. One of the things that Lent is, is an opportunity to recommit. But if it, but what I was saying it's good news is we don't have to pretend like we never have to recommit. We don't have to pretend like our entire Christian lives has been all team Jesus all of the time. So that's one of the things that I like about the season. But, you know, I feel like some people would argue that we should be doing that maybe all year long. So why is it important to have like a dedicated season for this? Yeah, I mean, I would say to anybody who's married, you should celebrate your wife or your spouse all year long. But I'm assuming that on the anniversary, it's a particular moment. Right. And so one of the things and I say this as um, a former Baptist and I attend the Baptist church now that there is a tradition there's a habit sometimes in kind of non-denominational or free church Protestant traditions to kind of say, we don't need to emphasize anything so we can do everything all the time, <laughs> right? So we don't need to emphasize, you know, this particular season because we can do it at any point of the year. And I say, well, mm-hmm. that's a false dichotomy, right? So Valentine's Day is one day, but it doesn't separate the fact that you can show those kinds of things all of the time. And so I think it's okay to say, 
during a particular season of the year, we're emphasizing something. I think that we're excited about the incarnation year round as Christians, but we still celebrate Christmas. We preach the resurrection every week as Christians. We still have something called Easter. So those kinds of things I don't think are in competition with, with each other. American Church doesn't love introspection. Um, they definitely, I think a lot of them really enjoy deflection more. Every semester, when I start to teach at Wheaton College, mm -hmm. I say to my students, there's one or two things that are true. Either I'm a theological genius that have unraveled the mysteries of Christianity and I've gotten everything correct. You should just adopt my spirituality. Or I've got something wrong and I don't know about it. If I knew what it was, I would change it, right? Hopefully, but I'm wrong and I don't know. It's a part of your job as a student is to respectfully to find out where I'm wrong because I don't know everything. But it's one thing to acknowledge that. It's another thing for me to consistently seek out that correction because I'm comfortable with the things that I believe. And I'm comfortable with the way that I, I live my life. And I, I, and I need to be open to God consistently correcting me and showing me what I've gotten wrong. And I think that if we had that attitude as the church, then we might, we might make some progress towards healing all of the current divisions that we're experiencing. If we were to become, you know, a church that was a lot better at introspection and change, like, what do you think the church would then become like? We might ask ourselves, how much damage have we done in attempting to do the right things in the wrong way? Paul's talking about the food sacrifice, the food sacrifice to idols, right? And he goes, you know, if it if 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 it's a big deal to y'all, I'm not gonna eat at all because less my eating caused someone for whom Christ died to stumble. So Paul said, I'm gonna withhold some of my rights to do these things for the benefit of others. And I think that we feel currently as the church that the only question is who is right. I feel like in our vitriol, we're doing something that is damaged. I think that if we all took a look, took a step back. And this is not tone policing. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm saying like, man, we, 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 we seem to be displaying um, the hatred that arises from our disagreements with people um, spiritually more than we are displaying the love that Jesus produces in us. And so I'm not saying you run away from hard things or stuff like that, but I'm just wondering if we might reset how we engage and I think three to five years ago, maybe six, we just adopted the personality of the culture, both on the left and the right. And we fight each other like everybody else fights each other. And I wonder if there's a better way um, if maybe the Christian virtues might be necessary. This is just doctor. This is just my own uh, my own hobby horses. And so forgive me if that's not what you're asking. But I think that we as individual churches and denominations just think about what we got wrong. We're so, I think everybody's so wrapped up in their brand. They're doing brand consistency as churches instead of like Christian introspection. Do we got to be on brand all the time? Or can we actually take every issue as they come instead of just saying, what's the most consistent brand identity? You know, 
We're always, you know, anti any statement about justice. So we're just going to call everything woke, no matter what it is, right? Like break, break up the monotony and like take on take on things individually. And so um, that's probably what I would say is the introspection might ask us if we haven't just settled into our predetermined roles set for us by the culture instead of listening to the Holy Spirit. was Esau McCauley. Make sure to check out his latest book, Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. It's great. All right, stay tuned. Up next, it's your feedback. Wish I could start this over. to the rare occasions the song is start this over okay it's time for your feedback so last week we asked you for your favorite twitter burns like all time like we've all screenshotted them that was a hilarious like unexpected comeback you know whatever great little twitter burns you guys hit us up you hit sent us the screenshots and i'm looking at them and i'm realizing this does not work for the podcast format so we're gonna skip it they're not fit for podcast your bur- the burns were a little too sick yeah oh a little too hot yeah yeah a little too hot um no anyway go you can go look at our replies on the rolling podcast twitter account so here's the thing this is our last question of the week of 2022 so I know it's in mid-December, but we have a weird recording schedule during the holidays. And actually, when we read the answers to this question, uh, we will be in the first week in January. That's when you're going to hear your, your replies. So we want to ask a first week in January question. We want to fast forward a little bit and look ahead. So we want to know what your predictions are for 2023. That's it. What are your predictions for 2023? Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can also answer on the Relevant Magazine IG story where we post it. What do you guys predict? Like predictions like who's going to get married? Who what's who's going to win the NBA? What pastor will fall? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're not reading those. Yeah, like what story are we going to be talking about at the end of, in, end of 2023? Like, right. You know, I mean. Yeah. What we really need to do is keep a list of it to see oh, yeah. which ones did yeah. come true. Oh, Yeah. Like what's Jerry Falwell going to do next year? You know, like that, like, where's that going to go? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I'll see tweets, you know, or like something will happen or like news will break. And then someone will post like a tweet that happened like two or three years ago. That's sort of like, yeah. Well, it's like The Simpsons uh-huh. or Back to the Future, yeah. you know? And back, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll just watch some recent Simpsons episodes and that'll be my predictions <laughs> yeah, for yeah. 2023. <laughs> Innovations, <laughs> you know, how culture will change, whatever. What are your predictions for 2023? Tech billionaires that purchase random websites that you frequent and interject a lot. <laughs> anything. Any, any prediction. Anything goes. If anyone can guess Elon Musk's next move, oh, that'd be that's good. impressive. Yeah, because I don't think he knows his next move. I, I'm reasonably confident he does not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, Emily, I'm almost certain of that. 
He seems to be shooting from the hip here. Yeah. I bet good money on that. His, his daily activity is like he wakes up in the morning, grabs the magic eight ball off of his nightstand and shakes it to see what he wants to do that day. You know, um, I'm telling you, it's like a Mad Lib. He's just like, ooh, what what are we going to do today? And he just... His daily planner. His daily planner is actually a Mad Lib. <laughs> he accidentally yeah. bought a Mad Lib instead of a real... It's pl- like you see parentheses. Large <laughs> amount of money, right, Sen? $44 billion. Uh, social media site. I'll just go Twitter. Here. Uh, uh, something that will people will not like. Uh, fire half staff. Okay. Well, let me do this thing. Let me read the whole thing. A yeah. very smart... Yeah handsome billionaire <laughs> spends 44 <laughs> oh that's great south african billionaire <laughs> <laughs> whose child's name is x a umlaut l p 2 z all right, so tell us your predictions for 2023. <laughs> well, before we wrap things up, I'm going to thank Esau McCauley for joining us today. Make sure to check out his book, Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. Also, uh, a couple notes. You know, it's the week of Christmas. It's the second to last episode before Christmas. Um, you know, you might just be online doing some shopping, last minute shopping. Uh, you get bored. Head over to relevantmagazine.com. A little, little breather. We're covering the intersection of faith, culture, life, justice. It's great. We're publishing a ton of stuff every day. Um, <laughs> right there on the homepage, you can sign up for our daily newsletter. It's our top five trending stories sent to your inbox every morning. It's called Relevant Today. Uh, that's a great way to stay in touch. You can also follow us on all the socials. We're posting over there on Instagram, obviously Twitter or Facebook. Uh, and in the new year, TikTok is on the horizon for us. Uh, follow us uh, at Relevant on Twitter and Facebook and at Relevant Magazine on Instagram and uh, TikTok. All right, cool. On that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Emily Brown. We'll see you next time. Get your Christmas shopping done, everyone. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on The Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. Popping in there and dropping eleven hundred dollars for the Elvis statue at the mall. Relevant Podcast Network.